Greetings, happy warriors, and I am your rabbi. I am Rabbi Daniel Lappin, welcoming you to the show where I regularly remind you that the more that things change, the more we need to depend upon those things that never change. And that's what we focus on during this show, understanding the things that never change. Because if we can remain safely anchored to the realities that never change, then we're free to experiment, we're free to roam far afield, we're free to vary our explorations and our adventures, knowing that we are constantly safely tethered. It's almost similar to a ship lying to an anchor. And even though there might be heavy winds and there could be stormy conditions, provided that the ground tackle is strong enough, provided the chain and the anchor are all correctly sized for the conditions, you can sit out the storm. And so knowing what the things are that never change and tethering ourselves to those things means that regardless of the storms that swirl turbulently around the foundations of our being, we are nonetheless able to safely explore the wonderful world of our adventures. Now, one of the things that stays the same regardless of of where you are or what you're doing is that it is useful to be able to subscribe to the show. So whatever platform you happen to be listening on, it would be wonderful if you would go ahead and subscribe. That is something that would be valuable to me and also to you. So just go ahead and uh, you'll see almost every show says, please subscribe. And in that, uh, I'm no different. I mean, I, I could, of course, explain why you are morally obliged, because after all, I am providing you this show absolutely free of charge. So the least you could do is subscribe, but we don't have to actually go there. And um, and I will just leave it at that, that subscribing would be absolutely terrific. This week, we uh, uh, saw the observance of um, a day called Juneteenth, which is a sort of a contraction of June 19th. And... Um, This started off in uh, 1865, about two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, ending slavery in the United States. And in Texas, uh, June of 19 that year was observed as as a day of um, renunciation of slavery. Well, in 2021, President Joe Biden turned it into a federal holiday. So nobody goes to work or nobody who works for the federal government at any rate. And that's more and more and more and more people every single year uh, goes to work on June the 19th. When was the last federal holiday done? Last federal holiday was 1983 and that was Martin Luther King Day. So uh, federal holidays are being added and no prizes for guessing what the next one is going to be. But uh, June 19th has another uh, reason to celebrate and observe, 
And that was the date in 1953 on which the Soviet spies, Ethel and her husband, Julius Rosenberg, uh, were um, executed. They were electrocuted. Um, In his memoirs, Nikita Khrushchev, who was for many years the head of the Soviet empire, um, spoke warmly and flatteringly about Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, saying that uh, their efforts enabled the Soviet Union to achieve its goal of building an atom bomb far quicker than it might otherwise have taken. And so in Khrushchev's memoirs, the Soviet spies, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, get uh, applauded and they get credited. And um, they were uh, caught and tried and executed all astonishingly quickly. In those days, there were not endless death row appeals, and um, they were both executed on Friday, June the 19th in 1953. I want to tell you a story uh, about a friend of mine. Uh, He is a senior United States military officer. Uh, He's an officer in the Army, has been decorated and um, very recognized for many years. I am not going to mention his name for reasons that will become obvious in the story, but uh, any of you who have known me for a few years uh, probably know who it is because I have spoken about him in the past and uh, I usually mention his name. But in this context, uh, I'm going to leave the name out and I'm going to tell you that he approached me uh, via a telephone call and asked me, uh, he said it would be very meaningful to the family if I would uh, officiate at the wedding of his daughter. She was going to be getting married in June, and uh, it was going to be this lovely spring wedding. And um, he uh, he said, look, apart from our friendship and the uh, the closeness my family feels towards you, we'd also like it because uh, my daughter is marrying a guy who is not only South African, which is the country in which you were born and uh, spent your earliest years, but um, he's also Jewish. And so what could be better than for you to officiate at the marriage between this guy, um, I'm going to call him Kevin, okay, and um, uh, our daughter, let's call her Hannah. Now, I should mention that my friend, this decorated army officer, is a very committed Bible-believing Christian. And um, I should also mention that Kevin is South African. He uh, moved to the United States a few years back. Um, He is an MD. And uh, yes, he is Jewish, but... At the same time, it's important that I tell you that um, he knows about as much of Judaism as I know about neurosurgery, which is to say, not a whole lot. Uh, I would say that uh, Kevin is a practicing religious Jew 
um, as much as Groucho Marx is a practicing member of the uh, Muslim faith, all right, which is to say pretty much not at all. So, you know what, while, while we're talking, while we're talking about uh, weddings and June weddings, and it is, of course, the season for weddings, uh, this would be a really good time for me to recommend that you get either for yourself, maybe you are getting married, maybe you are thinking of getting married, maybe you're already married, but you'd like to re-strengthen the closeness between you and your spouse, um, I have something just for you. And it's called the Lasting Love Set. And what it is, is um, it is two books and a CD program, uh, an audio program. The first book is Hands Off, This May Be Love, God's Gift for Establishing Enduring Relationships. And uh, that is a book that um, we publish. It's written by a friend of ours called Gila Mandelson. The second book is called I Only Want to Get Married Once, Dating Secrets for Getting It Right the First Time. And that one is written by another friend of ours called Hannah Levitan. And uh, the third item in the lasting love set is Madam, I'm Adam, Decoding the Marriage Secrets of Eden. And that is by Susan Lappin and me. And the way that people tell me they've been deriving a lot of benefit from the lasting love set is by each partner reads one of the books at a time, then they switch books, and then together they listen to the audio program and they stop it regularly. They, you know, they may listen for three or four minutes. Something com comes up and I said something, they stop it and they discuss it. And this very process of both of you reading the same two books, having a chance to discuss what you're reading with one another, both of you simultaneously listening to an audio program having to do with the unchanging principles of male-female relationships. Remember, I always say the more that things change, the more we need to depend on those things that never change. And regardless of 60 years of feminist ideology, and regardless of uh, several decades of seriously aggressive socialistic indoctrination in most Western countries, the bottom line is that what a woman wants from a man and what a man wants from a woman still remains true for 99.75% of men and 99.83% of women. And uh, yeah, I did make up those stats. So uh, we... Uh, we would love you to take a good look at this. You go to the website, rabbidaniellappin.com, and you look for the Lasting Love Set, okay? Lasting Love Set. And it's the uh, two books, Hands Off, I Only Want to Get Married Once, and it's the audio program, Madam Mom Adam, Decoding Marriage Secrets of Eden. And uh, do your relationship a favor, which is another way of saying do yourself a favor, Without uh, belaboring the point, 
it goes without saying that uh, if you know any particularly young people who are uh, dating or seriously courting or getting married or have just got married, great gift for them. Do not hesitate because the benefits that accrue from the feelings of renewed closeness are really important. It's just, it's so important, particularly for young couples, it's so important for them to be able to nurture a feeling of spiritual closeness. The physical closeness is exciting and and thrilling and delightful and wonderful, and that is there. But it isn't enough. You know, some people make the mistake of thinking it is enough, but they'll quickly discover it isn't. Uh, there needs to be a way, and, and women particularly want to make sure that this exists. They, they want to know that the guy can feel close to them without his hands, without touching. And um, one of these books addresses that very directly, hands off, this may be love. But the very process of spending time together, listening to something together, uh, pausing the program and discussing it, uh, reading books and then exchanging the books and talking about them, that is such a machine for closeness engendering. Uh, it's really almost as thrilling as the physical connection. And it's something that uh, you can gift to a young couple and it's something that you may possibly be able to derive great benefit from with your partner and your spouse as well. I shouldn't say partner. That's become a euphemistic term today. I should just say spouse. So um, so there I am uh, faced with a slightly awkward situation where my uh, wonderful military officer friend, um, who is a deeply committed Christian, is asking me to officiate at the marriage between his daughter and this uh, South African Jewish doctor. So I've got a number of problems. First of all, um, I don't officiate at interfaith marriages because I believe that interfaith marriages are on the road to doom. It is so difficult to make a marriage work. It is so challenging. There's so much you have to know. There's so much you have to do that starting off with a fundamental difference in faith is, is very awkward and very problematic. So I, uh, I, I'm not going to do it. But at the same time, I, I feel sad about it. And so I had to sit down with my officer, United States Army officer friend, and I had to explain why I was not going to be able to accede to his request. And I said, uh, we sat down, and I said, uh, look, um, Anna is a devout Christian. Kevin is a Jew by birth. What I'm trying to tell you is that your daughter believes in God, while your future son-in-law does not. Your daughter lives her life in close connection with Jesus, in deep conviction that the Bible is the word of God, 
and your future son-in-law, Kevin, has no feelings for faith at all. Look, he, he, he looked a bit puzzled, and I said, look, when you describe Hannah as Christian, when you speak of your daughter as being a Christian girl, you are describing her beliefs and her values. You're telling me about the way she lives her life. Essentially, you're telling me that if an invisible private detective would follow Hannah, your daughter, around, he would know that she was a Christian, what, in the first few hours at most? And he said, yeah, probably. And he said, that would be true for me too. If your invisible private detective followed me around, he'd know that I was Christian in a short space of time as well. And I said, yeah, I get that. And if the invisible private detective followed me around, he'd know I was Jewish also in the first couple of hours or or less. Absolutely. How long do you think the private detective would have to follow Kevin around to discover that he is Jewish? And he said, I've never thought of that. I, I don't know. What's the answer? And I said, six months, a year, maybe longer. That's, there would be no indication of it at all. And so um, he said to me, he, he looked a little worried at this, and he, um, he asked if I would have a, 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 a Zoom conversation with Hannah and Kevin together. And um, I said, yeah, if, if they want to. I don't want to impose myself on them. But, uh, you know, by all means, let them know you asked me. Tell them that I said that I was not able to do it and, uh, and that I'll, I'll absolutely make myself available uh, to them for a conversation. And um, that's what we did. We had a conversation. And a few things emerged from the conversation quite quickly. One was that Hannah, this lovely young Christian girl, uh, was absolutely thrilled about the prospect of her forthcoming marriage because she believed that when a Christian marries a Jew, she moves even closer to God. Kevin, on the other hand, in answer to some of the questions I asked him, had clearly not given Judaism a thought since the very perfunctory bar mitzvah celebration that his family threw for him 13 years earlier. So Hannah was excited about the wedding precisely because Kevin was Jewish, although she hadn't discussed it enough with him to realize that he was actually a secularized human being of Jewish ancestry. And Kevin, on the other hand, when I asked him what attracted him to Hannah, here's exactly, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my notes as I'm talking to you right now to make sure I get his words exactly right because I put them down verbatim. I saw this good-looking girl in the next car at a traffic light, and I followed her until I could get her to give me her number, he proudly announced. <laughs> and that, my friends, was Kevin's basis for married life. 
Yes, Hannah's belief system was indeed Christianity, while Kevin's belief system was, well, <laughs> nothing really. He believed in, and when I was pushing him on the question of what sort of things did you believe in, what are the value systems by which you intend running your life? He spoke in very vague and undefined terms. And you, regular listeners, you know what I think of vague and undefined terms. He spoke, Kevin said, well, I believe in human goodness. But um, again, yeah, completely meaningless. And what was also clear that um, the otherwise ordinarily uh, outgoing and uh, and and friendly and uh, and and um, uh, likable sort of guy suddenly became somewhat flustered and very uncomfortable with this part of the conversation. He said to me, he said, "Look, I'm just not that interested in organized religion." I, I love that term, by the way. It's as if. If you could find a church that was chaotic and disorganized, you know, the person would, oh, that would be great. It's just organized religion I don't like. Um, you know, it's, it's like a term that has come to mean absolutely nothing, but at the same time, it says, well, I'm not a bad person, but uh, it's just, you see, organized religion has so much negativity associated with it that someone like me couldn't possibly be associated with it. And that's generally what organized religion actually means. So uh, uh, so Kevin, who sort of radiated being this sort of really extroverted sort of guy, in the part of our uh, Zoom call where we were talking about uh, religion and values and, uh, and beliefs, man, he was, he was just not himself at all. And I, I pushed him until I got him to say that religion uh, would be playing no part in his future life and in his future home. I asked him how he would feel about the fact that his wife would be at church every Sunday and in due course would take his children with her, as she should do. Um, he I, his, his facial expression didn't even move. It changed not a whit. I would have to say that Kevin was utterly indifferent to what I saw as, as a slight problem, which is that this family was going to split up every Sunday morning. What was even more astonishing to me, I have to tell you, is that... Um, it it was no it was it was not significant at all to him either that he planned on spending saturday mornings at his car club racetrack yeah kevin was into racing cars and uh, and so hannah was going to go to church on sundays i imagine she assumed that he would go to synagogue on saturday morning but he wasn't Kevin has no intention of going to synagogue. Why should he? It's an utterly meaningless exercise to him. He's going to indulge his hobby of uh, car racing. So um, this sort of highlighted for me 
and I was able to report this to Hannah's dad, my friend. Uh, this is why I just do not think that people of fundamentally different beliefs should marry. And you might say, what business is it of yours? And it's my business because we all pay the price of divorce. When, uh, when my children were really little, we uh, lived on a street where there were a lot of, I mean, every family had kids. And on the long summer afternoons and evenings, it was, it was really a delight to be out on the street because the, we were on a dead-end street and this whole street just turned into this playground. Um, you know, the girls were playing over in one section and the, whatever they were doing and the boys were doing something else. There were several groups. Everybody's having a, a grand old time. Um, all of a sudden, without us knowing that there'd been problems at all, uh, the kids came home one day and told us the, uh, the, uh, the boy and a girl, a brother and a sister who lived down the street and were friendly, their parents are getting divorced. And this sent shockwaves up and down the block, I have to tell you. And uh, indeed, uh, the uh, dad moved out. The mom became a single mom. Um, eventually, she started dating and there was a succession of guys. I must tell you, the uh, boy and the girl started spending more time at our house than they ever used to. And it was so sad to watch the changes that were coming about in this boy and this girl. And uh, eventually, the, the boy became a uh, teenager, an adolescent. And um, by the time he was 15, he was in trouble with the police literally the only boy on the whole block that was ending up in mischief that required him to being being brought home in a cop car uh, on several occasions um it was it was something that um it was it was a fairly painful lesson for my children i have to tell you so um yes i i think it's okay to be opposed to divorce because it's costly for everybody now, I will say this. A secularized American of Jewish ancestry like Kevin, he could safely marry a secularized American girl of Christian ancestry. And that would be possible because they would have the same lack of beliefs. But for him to marry a girl who lives a daily relationship with Jesus is sheer folly. It doesn't make sense. It's not a good thing. In the same way that, uh, that no believing Jew would marry a believer of another faith, no secular Jew ought to marry a believer of any faith. Beliefs matter greatly. Ethnicity is largely irrelevant. I believe race is largely irrelevant with ethnicity. But beliefs really do matter. People of completely different ethnic or racial backgrounds, but as long as they share the same belief, of course they'll have successful marriages. Um, two of the pastors uh, with whom I was most close um, were both black-skinned pastors with white-skinned wives. And it, made, it was just fine, lovely, lovely couples with great marriages, 
Why? Why shouldn't they be? I mean, absolutely the same beliefs, obviously. That's not a problem. So um, I thought what might be useful for you all, if you know somebody in this kind of situation, or maybe, <laughs> maybe you are as well, but, you know, maybe you're a believer and you're contemplating marriage to somebody who doesn't believe. You may be saying to yourself, yeah, you know what, it doesn't really matter. Or you may be saying to yourself, I'm going to be able to change their belief. You know, after we've been married a while, they'll come to believe the way I do. I, I, I urge caution with those kinds of predictions, I have to tell you. But how would you like a three-part test to determine whether you and the person you're thinking about share the same beliefs? I'm going to give you three questions, and each question is going to have an A answer and a B answer. And if you and your beloved answer 1A, 2A, 3A, you're good to go. Let me put it this way. I, I can't say that, that was, I'm misspeaking there. That's not true. That's not all we need for a successful marriage. However, if you answer 1A, 2A, 3A, and she answers, or he, or your uh, intended, your paramour, answers um, 1B, 2B, 3B, then I can tell you that's, that that is a really uh, bad harbinger for any marriage that the two of you might be thinking of contracting. And I say contracting because I always like to help people remember that marriage is a contractual commitment. It's not love. Um, I was doing a wonderful um, interview with an Australian podcasting woman called Lynn Podetti, and I've, uh, oh, I've spoken to her often. It's just a pleasure. She is so vivacious and so amazingly fascinated, or at least she appears to be fascinated. Um, she's a very stimulating person to talk to because her facial expressions and the questions she asks just makes the time fly. And, and before I knew where I was, our interview was already finished. Uh, and it'll be, uh, it'll be posted very shortly. We did this interview just a couple of days ago. Uh, it's about the third or fourth I've done with her. I'm doing another one in a few weeks' time. And uh, one of the, at one point I asked, I said, uh, your daughter comes to you in uh, a few years' time, and um, you have helped her into your business. Lynn has a, a very interesting business. She helps people hire uh, virtual assistants from other countries. And... Uh, and so I said, let's imagine your daughter's been with you in the business. Your daughter's built her own business. She's very successful, making a lot of money. And now she comes to you and she says, I want to marry this guy. You've met him. I, I brought him to a, a barbie the other day, and I'd like to marry him. And it turns out you know that this guy is a very nice guy, but he is not an ambitious man. And he has a very entry-level kind of job, and he's sort of happy with it. 
you know, and uh, I said, you know, let's say he's making thirty or forty thousand dollars a year. Your daughter is making three or four hundred thousand dollars a year. How would you feel about your daughter marrying this guy? And uh, she smiled beautifully and she said, as long as they love each other. And I said, Lynn, of all the couples who will have got divorced in the year 2023 in Sydney, Australia, what percentage of them do you think told one another, I love you when they got married? And she's a very bright girl. She she knew exactly where I was going with this. And she laughed. She said, 100%, all of them. I said, right. And that's the ones who got divorced. So clearly, the fact that your daughter and her beloved love one another is completely irrelevant. And she said, we're going to have to book another interview. We've got to delve more deeply into that question. I've got to understand this better. Well, fortunately, her daughter is still very young, so she's got plenty of time to get this clear. But uh, those are very real questions. And uh, just because we're living in the 21st century, it doesn't change anything. That question cropped up in my great-grandfather's village in, in Lithuania, uh, you know, who knows, 150 years ago or more. That same question crops up. You've got to remember that technology more than anything else, camouflages how little things have changed. You remember? Rabbi Daniel Lappin says, the more that things change, the more we must depend upon those things that never change. And uh, these are things that I'm talking about now that never change. So how would you find out whether the person that you are thinking of forming a marriage with, how, do you, how can you find out what their belief system is? Well, fortunately for you, I have prepared, and this is the crux of, of today's show. This is the core. I've prepared three questions, and you both have to answer these questions. And then you just see whether you answer the same or you answer differently. Question number one, how do you think human beings came to be on this planet? Answer A, God created us in his image and placed us here. Answer B, well, by a lengthy process of random materialistic evolution, primitive protoplasm turned into people? That's answer B. Question number two. Where is the human race headed? Answer A. To an ultimate day of God's choosing, when a grand messianic redemption will take place, resulting in the whole world recognizing God and his truth. Answer B, where is the human race headed? To an ultimate day of destruction and oblivion that will wipe us out through overcrowding, poverty, global warming, acid rain, nuclear explosion, 
off-course meteorites, or any combination of the above. You get the idea. Is the future glorious and joyful, or is the future doomed and horrible? Unless, of course, government seizes ever more power and then collaborates with other governments to form a strengthened United Nations, and they take choice, because that'll solve all the problems. So, um, so there you've got question number one, how did human beings come to be on this planet? And question number two, where is the human race headed? And finally, question three, also with answer A and answer B. What are we really supposed to be doing while we're here? What is our purpose on this planet? Answer A, we are supposed to be developing our relationship with God and becoming closer to him through studying his Bible and following his wishes. Answer B, we should all work together to head off the threats to humanity that we looked at in answer 2B above. <laughs> if they're too formidable for us to solve alone, we should urge our government to solve them by passing laws about how many flushes it takes to work your toilet and uh, what electric light bulbs you may use and what cars you may drive. And if the problems are too much for even one government to solve, then we should urge governments to cooperate through the United Nations in order to solve them. And we should grant the United Nations sovereign power to be able to bring about a solution that is vitally necessary. Those, my friends, are the three terrific existential questions to ask somebody to try and find out if you're on the same spiritual page. The answers are, how did we get onto this planet? What is the future looking like? And what are we supposed to be doing meanwhile between arriving on this planet and departing this planet? And when you know the answer to one, two, and three, each of those three questions, you'll know right away. And so again, you know, if, if you are in this situation or you know young people who are, you would be doing them a big favor by giving them these three questions and saying to them, listen, instead of going to a movie with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, instead of going to a movie, why didn't you go somewhere where maybe a quiet restaurant where you can have a meal and the tables are not scrunched too close together and you can talk? And why didn't you just explore these three questions together? Because if nothing else, the process of a spiritual exploration of this kind will bring you closer together. You will feel a deep connection, which is joyful. It's wonderful. It's really beautiful. Well, I don't have to tell you that Kevin and Hannah could hardly have reacted to these questions more differently from one another. And again, I want to stress that giving the same answer to all three questions is not by itself a sufficient guarantee of marriage. But I will tell you this, having different answers is a sure recipe for disaster. I wish I could tell you that I managed to dissuade Kevin and Hannah from getting married. They did marry, 
and they found a renter rabbi to stand alongside the pastor to provide quasi-pseudo-kosher certification uh, for the benefit of Kevin's traditionally-minded grandmother from Cape Town, South Africa. Beliefs really do matter. And so uh, I will leave it at that without telling you anything more about Kevin and Hannah. There are no shocking surprises there. So that, ladies and gentlemen, happy warriors, one and all, that is pretty much where we're up to. Just remember, the more that things change, the more we need to depend on those things that never change. And uh, five things that never change are your five Fs. The idea that a happy family life, a happy person, a fulfilling life comes from maintaining these five, that isn't something that's going to change. You know, Samuel Johnson, who was a wonderful British writer, he lived for much of the 1700s. Uh, He was an older guy at the time of America's War of Independence and the Declaration of Independence, but he did live through that time. Uh, He also wrote, I think, the first and greatest dictionary of the English language. Um, His name was Samuel Johnson and uh, um, a very, a very, very extraordinary writer at any rate. Samuel Johnson says the following, to be happy at home is the end of all human endeavor. Isn't that beautiful? To be happy at home is the end of all human endeavor. In other words, bottom line, if you have a happy home, You're a lucky human being. And one of the ways to bring that luck, one of the ways to make sure you do, and you will build it or you will change it into that, or you will do whatever's necessary, one of the ways is by focusing on the holistic you. Now, you can download the holistic you at rabbidaniellappin.com. Just look for an ebook called The Holistic You for free. It's yours. And it speaks about how to integrate the crucial five fundamental elements of your life your faith, your friendship, your finance, your uh, fitness, and your family. Those five. And so, um, have a look at that uh, ebook at rabbidaniellappin.com. And um, until next week, I, your rabbi, wish you a week of positive progress with your friendships and your faith, with your finance and your fitness, and of course, your families. God bless.